Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yeah. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey everyone, John Wertheim here. It is this week's Sports Illustrated slash Tennis Channel Tennis Podcast. Our guest is WTA Tour CEO Steve Simon. Steve took over the position three years ago and uh, is still going strong. He um, was heavily involved in the Indian Wells event and as a member of the WTA board, moved over to the CEO position in 2015. Uh, We talk about where women's tennis is right now, this new deal with Tennis Channel that the WTA Tour signed Serena Williams, his thoughts a month later on the U.S. Open final. A uh, good wide-ranging discussion about the business of women's tennis with the guy at the top of the org chart. Uh, here he is, Steve Simon. I, I was thinking this makes uh, three years on the job for you. Went fast. Uh, yeah, it does. You're right. It, it has gone fast. It's been a, been a quick period of time. Give us, the, give us your State of the Union. What's uh, sort of top line? Where do you see the women's game right now? What do you like? What are the challenges? What, what's the top line when you, you talk to the board right now? Well, I think that, um, you know, from my perspective um, and with the tenure that I've, I've been here, I've, I've never been more excited or, or higher about um, where we're at right now. Um, we're um, from a, a product standpoint, I think uh, the quality of our product going out is at all-time highs with respect to the, the quality of play as well as the depth of play and the variety of um, personalities and, and product that is, is available um, each, each and every week. Um, I think that from a business perspective, business is continuing to trend uh, very positively as our audience numbers are continuing to grow. Um, and, um, you know, we are um, uh, attracting a lot of interest from the, uh, from the business um, uh, segments 
of, uh, of the world and sponsorship and other things. So um, things are, I think, are trending in a, in a very positive direction right now. It used to be very easy in sports to assess health, right? You'd, you'd use ratings and revenue, but that's, that's gotten trickier, especially for a global brand like yours. Sure. What, what are the metrics you use? I mean, when you talk about the health of the sport, what, what are you looking at in particular? Yeah, I think you're, it's very fair, and obviously those metrics are changing now. Obviously, in the with the world of of social media and and the digital platforms that are out there, but um, we're certainly looking to see growth across all of these um, platforms. Uh, we're certainly seeing a change in our demographics of our audience, um, which is clearly being driven through the social platforms, which trend a little bit younger than the traditional linear broadcast um, deals. Um, I think we begin looking at what I'll call the stickiness, um, you know, and how long people are are staying with our content versus just clicking through it, and we're seeing growth there. Um, and then, of course, um, like any business, we're seeing um, growth in, in revenues. Um, which is very important because that obviously allows us to keep investing uh, back in into new initiatives and and future investment into our sport that we hope will continue to grow it. I'm reading between the lines and I'm hearing that our former colleague Courtney Wynn deserves a raise. Um, I, I wrote <laughs> I wrote I wrote, uh, I wrote last week that the vital center of the WTA seems to be moving to Asia. Um, Defend, attack, modify. You agree with that? That's sort of the, the nerve center of women's tennis is seems to be moving to uh, to the Far East. You agree? No, I think that the Far East has become a very um, solid part of our business. Um, there's obviously a lot of business that's come there, and we've had a lot of success in that region of the world. Um, I still believe Europe plays a very, very strong, strong role. Um, as the majority of our athletes are, are European-based. Um, and I think tennis in Europe is still the stronghold. But um, uh, I think what's also coming on here is with uh, some of the new young American players, um, we're getting, gaining strength back here in the U.S. market because for any global brand, without the U.S. market, I think you're going to, you're going to struggle. So um, I think for us, the beauty of it is, is that we do have a stronghold in Asia, but I think it's complementing uh, what has been established in the foundation of Europe and and obviously the resurgence from the uh, the U.S. You, you mentioned you mentioned the U.S. and the importance of of having a beachhead here. The big news recently was that the WTA was was moving back to Tennis Channel, and I know it made. A lot of American fans happy. It certainly made Tennis Channel happy. I mean, take the, take this where you want. I don't think we need to or want to disparage uh, anyone. But why why this move? How are you feeling about it? Well, we're we're excited about it, and and obviously we we just recently announced that we will our international rights, um, which are all the international events, will now be moving from BN um, to back to Tennis Channel. This will be in addition to the the current U.S. events that currently have agreements through their domestic rights with Tennis Channel. Um, 
So we, we think that's exciting and will be a great opportunity. Um, BN um, is one of the largest rights holders um, for the WTA on a worldwide basis. They're a terrific partner. And I think the reflection of this change, um, a lot of the credit should go to, to BN. And, and I say that because as a good partner, when we embarked on our new expanded all-court coverage, uh, which came into place in uh, January of 2017, um, we began experiencing scheduling challenges with BN in the later part of the week because uh, they being a multi-sport platform, um, it obviously began to conflict with a lot of their, um, their team uh, offerings, uh, significant obviously in the soccer world or football world. Um, they, as good partners, um, clearly saw the issues associated with this, and we worked together and came to an agreement to release these rights as of January 2019, and we went through a bid process and, and ended up with Tennis Channel, which we're very excited about. Uh, BN will continue to carry highlights packages and a, um, um, obviously the magazine show and possibly some other programming. But um, uh, I think it was uh, about everybody wanting to do what was right um, for the sport, and, and we're very excited about the opportunity. And we know the U.S., from the feedback we've had, obviously the U.S. fans are very excited about this as well. And I would add Tennis Channel is excited too. Um, I, you know, <laughs> I was, I was interesting. You, you mentioned demographics and the shifts there in a younger audience. What, what else are you seeing in terms of demographics in the data? Well, um, what we're seeing is, is, is obviously with the, with the growth of, of the social uh, platforms and the viewership of content on these platforms, we are seeing that our audience is definitely, or we're gaining audience, is definitely trending at a much younger age. Um, the linear audience has a traditional area for us, you know, anywhere from the 45 to 65 range, uh, which is traditional with most demographics uh, in that, on that medium. And then when you get to the social platforms, you see the, the demographics from 18 to 29. Uh, I think this is very important for us because obviously this is where we're cultivating our future fan and also beginning to cultivate how we address these platforms and put our content out there in manners in which this consumer is going to consume it and in the formats they're going to consume it in going forward. So uh, we're seeing, uh, which is good, that a, a younger audience is beginning to follow our sport and now we need to build upon it. Serena Williams shut shut things down after the U.S. Open, um, which, which isn't a big surprise and she's done in the past. But I, you know, Hollop is injured, Madison Key's injured, Sloane Stevens more or less shutting it down, Ostapenko complained she's exhausted. The results come across uh, my, my screen, and there's always an RET um, w with an injury. What are we going to do about the physical and mental demands that the calendars play? And this isn't unique to women's tennis, obviously, but what, what are we going to do about this calendar here? Well, I think that it's, uh, it, it's not anything new. Um, it is a long calendar for sure. 
And I don't know too many sports where you don't begin to see that in any sport as you get towards the end of the season. Um, uh, in fact, we probably last a little bit longer than that physical sport that we follow here called football. Um, but um, there's no question it's a, it's a long year. I think the exciting thing for us is that um, with the depth of our product, we've got a, a very exciting um, end of the year coming leading into our finals where we still have, with two weeks to go, three spots available and five players fighting for it, um, which are all exciting stories in themselves. And I think that one thing that we as a sport, and I've been on record saying about this, we need to do is we need to look at um, our format um, long term. Uh, we need to protect the integrity of competition, but I do think that that asking these athletes over a 44-week uh, period of time to be playing three-hour matches day in and day out with no rest in between is going to take a toll on their bodies. You, you mean mat I'd match format you're talking Pardon me? You're, you're talking match format. You're, you're talking the, yeah, the format yeah. of the competition exactly. itself. How, how, yeah, how far exactly. are you willing to go there? Well, I think that there are ways that what we have to focus on is how do we uh, get our matches where they become 90-minute um, to two-hour matches versus these three hours because I think, one, it will work better for our broadcast windows, but also, more importantly, as physical as the tennis is today and as le athletic and powerful as it's become, um, if we can get our athletes off of the court in a shorter period of time, I believe they will still they will stay healthier and they actually may play more, which is great because the more on the court, the more that they're on the court, obviously the better the ratings and the better um, the product is for our fans. Four game sets. Uh, I mean, how you know when you when you think about what this looks like, what do you what do you envision? Well, I think you could look at you know there's been the tests of the of the fast four format, which is mm -hmm. the four game uh, format that you've reflected. Um, in the doubles, we already have a format where you play a tiebreaker for the third set, and I believe that format was used for the recently um, uh, held Labor Cup event, which is at a pretty high level. Um, so, I mean, we have that as well. Um, you know, do you go to no ad scoring? Do you play tiebreakers at five all or in six, you know, versus six all? I think there's a number of things that you can, you can look at to do it. But I think we as a sport, as all sports, have to look at the duration of our, of our matches because I do think that the consumption uh, capacity or, or rate of our fans is going to continue to diminish. Um, they don't sit in one place for three hours anymore. They like it in smaller nuggets, and I think we have to react to that as well as deal with the health of our athletes. I was thinking t today's October 9th, and if, if my math is right, the U.S. Open Women's Final was September 9th. Uh, a month later, now that passions are cooled, what... Uh, what lessons did you learn? I mean, what's what's our takeaway from that women's final now that uh, we're, we're in a, a bit of a detached space? Well, I mean, look, what happened uh, a month ago, um, you know, was was unfortunate. I think on on many many fronts, um, it should have been a celebration of a new and exciting champion in Naomi, and I think that got completely overshadowed. 
Um, I think that anytime you have those situations, I do believe that you need to, to take those, look at them hard, and turn them into positives. And I think that there's two things that we have to work on from there. Um, the first is uh, getting our sport to look at how we deal with coaching. Um, from a WTA perspective, I think I've been consistent in that I believe that coaching is part of our sport and should be part of the match and the story. Um, so, you know, we're going to continue to support that background and work with the sport, which is the sport is willing to work together on this and have a conversation, which I think is positive. And then, then two, you know, I think that the most polarizing issue that came from it was the argument that, you know, um, uh, you know, our men and women treated the same by officials. And, um, um, you know, I think this is a very, very polarizing discussion and I think again we as a sport have to have to work on on the fact that this never happens again and that we work with our officials to ensure that that hopefully again this question is never asked and that um, we we have a consistency um, in how and how we deal with these things because it was the question that came from it no matter what your position is on it it was the reality of the question, and we as a sport have to make sure that that question doesn't come up again. P- part of your job is is to popularize a product. Um, if, if I gave you truth serum here, is there any sort of paradoxical sense that uh, some good came of this in the sense that this overshadowed football for that weekend, that Saturday Night Live is still referencing what happened in the U.S. Open final that perhaps they wouldn't have if this match doesn't have controversy. When Serena plays in Australia, this is still going to be a resonant story. Is, is there any sense that, unfortunate as the circumstances may have been, some good has come of this in the sense that uh, boy, boy tennis sure enjoyed a period of relevance here? <laughs> well, it, cer- it certainly enjoyed a, a sense of relevance. Um, uh you know, obviously, it was a very highly, even before the incident happened, uh, the ratings on it was extremely high. In fact, I believe it was the highest rated one of the of the tournament. Um, just like um, the match, at, I think, in Wimbledon was also the highest rated um, for Wimbledon as well. So the profile is certainly growing. Um, it shows the strength of, obviously, Serena Williams and what she means to our sport and our tour. Um, but, um, obviously anytime you get stories like that, um, it it certainly raises, raises the profile as well because of the debate and everything that surrounds it. Uh, we're not looking for this. There are other stories we would much prefer to have and be talking about. Um, and hopefully, um, that's where we, we evolve from this. You you mentioned Labor Cup. Were you, were you in Chicago? I was not in Chicago, no. Um, no. But it seems like a real story in the tennis ether this fall has been these, these global competitions. And, you know, who knows if tennis has the capacity for three of them, which which are now on the table. But regardless, is, is this something that WTA is looking at? I mean, you've, you've been a, a bit on the sidelines, which might not be a bad thing. But um, is there any reason why these would not work uh, for women's tennis as well? Well, no, I think that fans, fans love team competitions. Um, 
I think that that there's, I mean, look at the Ryder Cup, look at the Labor Cup, um, you know, look at, at the excitement that comes around, you know, Davis Cup ties and Fed Cup ties in certain countries and everything. You can see the passion, you can see the patriotism, and the players enjoy it as well. Um, we would love to, we have been on the sidelines, but we would love to to have a team competition on the women's side as well. The challenge with it is, and one of the reasons we've been uh, looking at it a little bit differently is, as you reflected earlier, we have an extremely full calendar. And we have to, I don't want to shove an event within the calendar that has a detrimental effect on the other sanctions and members and events that we currently have. So uh, we're certainly open to looking at these. Um, there are options that have been put in front of us that we will continue to look at. But I want to make sure that it is integrated within the calendar that makes sense from a, a flow perspective and we can get the athletes there and build on something that can be special versus just stuffing something in the calendar that has other negative I always wondered this, um, but more so now than ever, at this uh, at this cultural moment we're having, what challenges do you confront as a male executive overseeing a, a female league? Um, I, I haven't found um, any any challenges um, personally with it. I think that there's always a perception, obviously, of um, am I in touch with with the female position uh, on these on these issues? But um, I think that uh, maybe the reason that I haven't felt that is that my perception has always been about what is right and what is fair, and I think that is the basis for um, what a lot of these issues. Are stemming from, and um, I've always felt strongly about that. I will continue to. I've never understood the issues of um, of, of partisanship or or um, other elements like that 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 provided preference um, to anybody anywhere. Um, so I think this has been been very common and has been consistent with our, with our approach. Um, the WTA has always been about um, inclusion, uh, support for people's preference, um, and and providing all people opportunity and equal. And um, I think that's what I stand for. I think it's what the tour stands for. And I really really haven't found any any issues that have put me in a position where I felt polarized or. In an, in an uncomfortable position today. You've been in the sport a long time, and you've been involved in the women's game a long time, but since you accepted this position three years ago, I, I think almost three years ago to the day, I think, but uh, last three years since you've been CEO, what, what's the biggest thing you've learned about the women's game that you, you may not have known or appreciated before? Um, I think uh, what... As I've been in, as I've gotten in, and been able to to obviously get to know the athletes at a level that obviously I, I didn't didn't have as just a board member and or a tournament director in my prior prior life. 
um, the quality of individual that we have amongst these athletes. Um, these are really some special women. Um, they're very, very bright. They're great athletes. Um, they really care, and they, they want to understand the business. They want to understand how to grow it. Um, they, they're willing to make decisions that aren't even in their best interest, but more in the interest of the business. And it's been uh, been very, very interesting um, to, to see this, and um, in some ways, um, you know, uh, very rewarding um, to, to see this. So I think the biggest thing has just been the the pride and and the quality of um, of these of these young women, and it's been been really fun fun to see. Here's here's the last one for me. If uh, you know, Serena breaking Margaret Court's record. Controversy-free finals, title sponsor, full health for all players. What, what's your sort of number one on your wish list for 2019? I'm greedy. All of the above. <laughs> those were just. Um, uh, th- th- those were just. I, uh, g- g- I don't know. I mean, what, what, what do you think seriously though? When you when you project for next year, what would you like to see happen for the WTA tour? Well, I would like to see us continue on our our path and be building upon the pieces that we put into place this year. Obviously, we want to see in the U.S. market this Tennis Channel agreement grow. Obviously, Serena's um, striving for 25 will continue to be a story, as well as some of these these great young players that are coming up will the um, Ariana Sabalinka's. Um, you know, be it, be able to take that next step. Will Naomi uh, continue um, her run? Um, I think these are all compelling stories that um, when you tie them together with what Serena's trying to accomplish, I think creates great dynamics. And then, of course, if we're able to secure some more sponsorship um, that, that comes from the success of these, that will continue to help drive the business. So, um, I've uh, never went, been one that's shy to have multiple goals and multiple things that I'm shooting at, and, and 2019 won't be any different there. I think you should also strive to have double the prize money at your year-end event. You've already <laughs> well, done that. Uh, uh, it's one, one off the we, bucket we, list. We, we, we did accomplish that one starting in 2019, so anyway. Um, Great. I, uh, I I said recently, I said this was a, a sort of sneaky, strong year for women's tennis, and um, I, I stand by that. Uh, thanks, Steve. I, I appreciate right. that. Thanks a lot. No, no worries. Uh, it was a pleasure, and um, uh, thank you very much for uh, for your continued uh, support. That's great. Pleasure. We'll, we'll do it again soon. Uh, good luck. Congrats, and uh, thanks. thanks again. All right. Thanks to Steve for uh, spending half an hour with us. Good talking uh, and catching up with him. Uh, thank you, Jamie Lasanti, producer extraordinaire. Uh, I'll bring you in now. You sat in on that. Um, top line thoughts? You didn't ask about the website. Oh, you're right. Uh, we had limited time. Why is it that we can't figure out uh, who it was that Naomi Osaka lost to earlier this year because the website doesn't have that level of functionality? Is that what you're asking? Something something like that. No, he was good. He, uh, you know, he answers your questions as expected um i think as you know someone in his position but um you know it's good to 
Good to have him on. I think it's great that he's so accessible. I think it's funny you think about... We did not have to jump through great hoops to uh, secure this interview, Exactly. Correct? I mean, he is... I think it would take a lot longer to go talk to... Roger Goodell, for Exactly. Example. Or, you know, so um, it's it's interesting uh, when you think about that. But um, I, I think he's very gracious at this time. And I think he, as you said, I can't believe it's been three years already. That's right. Um, no, I mean, I, I think that it's it's a tough position. And he has right. a lot of different constituents. It's not as linear as, hey, there are a bunch of franchise owners who have named me commissioner and the players have their own union that I'll have to negotiate with. I mean, this is a really, really tricky job. And I think you could tell from his responses, this is not someone who speaks rashly or or acts rashly. He's a fairly measured presence. Um, He's not in the business of denigrating his product, nor should he be. I I think, realistically, you could push him on things like the be in sports deal. Mm -hmm. He um, spoke very charitably of that. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think there are a lot of American tennis fans that probably... uh, would, would be a little bit, um, perhaps a little bit harsher. But uh, no, I, I think that given all of the constituents that he needs to keep happy, all the pressures, again, you're, it's, it's a revenue position at some level. It's a keep the players happy level. There are agents involved. I mean, there, there's a lot of dynamics here. And I think this goes to the screwed up nature of tennis. I don't think this is the business model anyone would have wanted if you were starting the sport tomorrow. But at some level, you play the hand you're dealt, and I, I think he he plays it quite well. I think we could pick apart a few decisions. Um, I, I thought his remarks immediately after that, that U.S. Open final were ill-considered, but I, I think you can tell from talking to him, he, he cares deeply, he's circumspect, he's cautious in what he says, and I think that's necessarily so. So I'm, I'm glad, happy for the time, and uh, happy he had some interesting thoughts on the state of the women's tens. He also has been I mean women's tennis the past three years I think arguably has been the best you know maybe not ever but it has been at a high level and I mean the men's game has most recently sort of started to come back but I mean we always talk about we we recap majors and we come back and we say you know the women's tournament was really freaking exciting you know what I mean and in in comparison I I think we're at like four or five slams in a row where that's been the case exactly. too and, and it's so great that has... Roger and Rafa win but yeah. right and so we've had a lot of different storylines with Serena kind of being a thread throughout the whole time which obviously as he said she's great for the sport and I'm sure he's very thankful to have someone equivalent to a, a Federer or Nadal uh you know in the women's game but there are so many other people um you know so many other younger women uh that have just come up and and really are making the game that much better and then it's competitive it's high quality i mean i can't almost every major i think the the match of the tournament has been a woman's match if not tied for for first in the last couple yeah i'm I'm with you i think that um if you look at the product out there i think you're right i mean it's it's as strong as it's been you know you had this period in in the late 90s where you had the williams sisters and hingis and kornikova and monica sellis and Lindsay and it was just you know from the quarterfinals on no matter how the plot broke it was going to be relevant that's 20 years ago already and women's tennis I think has been a little bit overshadowed by Federer Nadal Djokovic uh Serena Williams is obviously a, a consistent winner but we've seen periods of absences from Serena of course it's you know we're going on two years since she last won a major I I think again it's been in a sneaky kind of way um Naomi Osaka was was most recent you to look at the last 
six or seven major champions. They've all been different players. Mm -hmm. And I think you're right. A lot of the most competitive matches, you know, Lauren Davis, Hollop. Right. Uh, they haven't even been, I mean, I'm not even talking about finals. We've had some very nice women's finals as well. The Serena Osaka controversy was a big talking point. But the flip side is that a 20-year-old Japanese player is a Grand Slam champion and the hottest thing in the sport right now. So um, interesting times for uh, for the women's tour. I mean, I, I'd like to see this translate a little bit more um, on a balance sheet. I think that yeah, things are probably That's trending fair. in the right direction. You know, Naomi Osaka was a big winner after the U.S. Open. I'm not sure the WTA necessarily uh, fared as well as, as the player individually. That's always been the case, of course. I mean, the, the Williams sisters, Kornikova, I mean, Anna Kornikova at one point had uh, allegedly more in gross revenues than the entire WTA tour. So I think sponsors a lot of times are banking on a player and not necessarily an institution, which is always going to be a problem funny. in individual sports. Yeah, go ahead. You, you, you say it, and he says it, the product. Or, you know, even the, the name WTA itself, it's a tour, right? And so, I, I don't know, I thought it was an interesting thing. I mean, it's not the National Basketball Tour or the National Football Tour. You know, I always thought that was an interesting way of, you know, presenting it. And when you guys talk about it as a product, uh, it just kind of reminds you that, oh, yeah, you know, this this is – a business, um, especially for someone like Steve in his position. Yeah, no, and it, it's a weird business too, right? Because at some level, these individual tournaments are their own businesses, right? Indian Wells wants its own sponsor, and here comes B and P Paribas, and that's great. I'm not sure Indian Wells is necessarily that invested in how the other events fare. The right. players are individual brands and businesses. Maria Sharapova and Osaka sort of go to Serena Williams. They all w want their own deals and have their own deals, as they should. But does that come at the expense of the WTA as this entity, as this circuit? Um, you know, Steve Simon's predecessor was supposed to sell, and she didn't sell particularly well. And that, I think, um, you know, candidly probably cost her the CEO position. You see signs of increased revenues on the women's side. Certainly, I mean, again, he, he sort of, I, I thought, um, I'd say kindly deflected the question. But no question, the money's coming out of Asia. I mean, the, this year-end championship in Shenzhen, where they're going to offer the winner more money than any major is. Uh, the the money's clearly in Asia, and I think it becomes a question of how much do you go chasing the uh, the dollar when, as he said, the American market is very important. The top right. players come from Europe. There are no, ma there are no majors in Asia. Uh, how much does it benefit the tour to sort of transplant itself to, to the Far East? Certainly it helps short-term financially, but is that in the best interest of the sport? It's, it's a lot. It's a tricky balance, and I think you're right. It's not like the NBA, and it's not like the New York Knicks. And you don't have—the the NBA is strengthened when certain teams do well and when the overall—again, I'll use the word product is strong. Tennis is a little bit different, where you have this chain of tournaments throughout the year that at some level are interdependent, but they're really their own right, separate entities. the Indian Wells caliber of tournaments, like as you said. I mean, Indian Wells— the fifth major, you know, quote unquote, it, it uh, they want to be their own big Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Big thing. I mean, it's almost they're they are pitted against other tournaments right. in a way How, that you know, the Knicks and the Nets necessarily aren't. But. What better smoothies and, uh, you know, car services can we keep supplying so that the players keep saying this is the best tournament ever? I suspect a lot of tournaments wish they had uh, <laughs> the. The uh, that the P and L pressures or, or lack thereof that Indian Wells has, but it's, you know Indian Wells is a very different business model than Cincinnati, which is a very different business model from Madrid. And I think all of this goes to your question, which I think is really a good one, which is at the end of the day, what is the WTA tour? Mm -hmm. 
Um, it, it's an individual sport. The players are individual brands. The tournaments are individual events. Uh, yes, you can sell TV as, as a package, but even that becomes problematic, and the majors aren't part of this deal. So at the end of the day, I mean, I think the very first question that Steve Simon probably asks himself is, what is this product that I speak of? At the end of the day, what is it? What are my assets? What am I selling in this in this global marketplace? We didn't even talk about that, which is when the PGA Tour, when, when golf threads its way mostly through one country, that's a lot easier to sell. Uh, it's very hard to find a title sponsor for the WTA Tour when it is as global as it is. There are sort of the, the global economy takes and it gives. And sometimes uh, if the tour, I think, were more geographically restricted, we've talked sometimes about regional tours and tennis, maybe mm-hmm. that's an easier sell. But he's got to sell a product that resonates in Singapore, but also resonates in Madrid and Cincinnati. So uh, it's, it's a tough job. And I would argue that on balance, he's acquitting himself uh, quite well. For sure. And we're happy to have him on. Happy to have him on. Okay. Uh, we are going to have another guest uh, coming up soon, but um, that will do it for this week as the tennis season winds down. Uh, Jamie, thank you. If people were interested in uh, subscribing or leaving reviews, where might they go? They can go on Apple Podcasts and click subscribe and leave us a nice little review. I had someone the other day, I I read something where somebody said that when talking about certain, uh, you know, events that happen in the sport, uh, we should not always assume that people listening know every detail of how the event transpired. So I think it was a good point. Sometimes I think we jump into conversations, uh, especially with guests, and we talk about things that happened in previous tournaments or, you know, drama that's happening. And we're assuming that all the listeners know, but we should probably give some background information here and there, or even if it's something that you and I are talking about. Uh, so that was a good that's helpful good advice. That's yes. good. Uh, one thing I got was that uh, sometimes we assume our audience is perhaps more American than it is. And mm. things like Leslie Jones spoofing Serena on Weekend Update uh, requires a beat. So let us say, Leslie Jones, American comedian, Saturday Night Live, popular weekly show. Uh, she spoofed Serena Williams doing a recent uh, newscast. And uh, I think YouTube's probably your friend there. If I didn't, Honestly, I didn't think it was particularly funny. Uh, but having said that... Good uh, feedback. Go, yeah, good feedback. And uh, feel free to YouTube... Leslie Jones uh, mocking Serena. Okay, that uh, that does it for this week. Um, we are very much open to uh, constructive criticism, aren't we, Jamie? Definitely. So keep the comments coming. All right, we'll do it again in a week. Thanks to WTA CEO Steve Simon. Thanks, Jamie. And uh, talk soon. Take care.